You're listening to the Laugh Factory Podcast Network. For more shows, visit the podcast page at laughfactory.com. It's the after laugh, after laugh. Welcome to the after laugh, after laugh, after laugh. <laughs> after laugh, man. <laughs> Hey guys, welcome to the F Laugh. I'm very excited. Right? <laughs> well, I don't know if excited is the word, but uh, usually I lie when I say that. But I am here with. Um, Are you lying though? No, Jamie. <laughs> Jamie King, who um, I don't know you that well. I, I this sounds so dumb to say, but I'm a fan. Here's a story that that I'm going to drop on you. The first time I ever went to Sundance was 2001. And the first Happy film campers. I saw was Happy Campers. That was the first film I ever made. I know. And you were great. And oh I remember God, that. Oh my God, that's insane. So I, that was like my first foray into Sundance. I was just the fucking dickhead who had no film there. It was, my girlfriend at the time was an agent. So I went with her and I, I saw that film. And that was a great film. Thank you. I didn't know what Sundance even meant at the time. <laughs> I really didn't. Yeah. I really had no idea. So I, put the mic a little bit closer okay. because it, it's, it's closer. not... Like that? Know, that's good. That's bad. Um, what are the COVID rules with mics these days? Uh, you're probably going to get it. No, I, I don't know. It's clean. I think I'm more I, tested I, than anyone in the universe at this point and oh vaccinated. God, it's crazy, yeah. Oh my God. So people who, if you don't know who Jamie King, you're living under a rock. You, you have an incredibly prolific career. And I don't want to go too deep into the sort of like, I was born a small black child in Louisiana, but like you... Were born, um, like you said, you were born poor in Nebraska. So you were, you're kind of like the epitome on some level of the American dream that gets people on buses from Wichita it's <laughs> to true. LA. Because you were, true. you were, uh, 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 now I don't know much about your upbringing other than you're from Nebraska and then things happened. Yeah. I'm from Nebraska. My dad ran tenements. What does it mean running tenements? He was like the property manager? Yes. So was that sort of like tenements? Like was in the it, hood, in the hood. So like black tenements, like the black and white, black and white. Everyone. It wasn't like it was like trailers. It was like no the it projects. Was, it was the projects. Yeah. yeah. Okay. And I, um, I, you know, I would go with my dad and collect the quarters out of the washing machines, rip up the carpet, fix toilets, oh, get wow. checks. You know, I remember. You know, like. Uh, I really needed new sneakers for gym class. I was failing gym class, and I fucking hated school so much. <laughs> How did you fail gym class? You just well because I, I because first of all, I did not enjoy anything athletical at all. <laughs> yeah. I didn't want to be a cheerleader. I didn't want to be an athlete. I mm-hmm. want. I was just. I wanted to be an artist, um, and uh, honestly, I didn't like it because I had big boobs at a young age. So I would duct tape my boobs down because the girls said I would stuff my bra but i wasn't stuffing my bra but it would really hurt to run because i didn't yeah. have the appropriate running gear including the shoes and so and were every you time, a shy kid were you introverted and very much so yeah. yeah i um you know my oldest sister came out when she was really young um and she was adopted by my mom and my mom was just like 24 years old before she had her first biological child then my oldest sister, Sandy, to me was like the queen. She was the most beautiful. She was a cheerleader. Everyone loved her. I felt like I was just like born in the body that didn't fit me. Like to the point where I I remember like doing like a, 
another reason why I don't like gym class uh, is because I had to do like a race and all the families came or whatever. And I remember at one point I, I literally became paralyzed. Like I started to run and I couldn't move my body because I was so self-conscious of the way that my arms were moving because I was very long and lanky. Yeah. And then when you have like these girls telling you you're stuffing your bra and I'm <laughs> so your tits are duct taped, you know, your body doesn't fit your insides somehow, right? Yeah. And it was just a really kind of horrific uh, experience that that kind of thing at that time, right? Sure. Where it's like like dodgeball or something, you know, where you like choose teams <laughs> and like you're the one that's the definitely not one. chosen. Um, but to wrap that around, I, I remember there was a time that I was working with my dad and um, there was a kid in, in the apartment that had like these dope Jordans, right? And they had a Nintendo. And, um, oh, are those cops going to falsely accuse people? <laughs> Sorry, the helicopter went up. Oh, here we go. Um, <laughs> um, and then there were like 18 kids in this one bedroom, you know, apartment. And I was like, Daddy, they have brand new Jordans and a Nintendo. But something feels really sad here. Yeah. And how how can there be so many children in one place? And he's like, well, sweetheart, you know, one child turns 18 and they need to have another child. And I was like, I don't understand. And he said, well, it, that's how they stay oppressed. Wow. It was set up to be that way. And so I learned from a very young age that somehow like, not not just about injustice but really about <clears throat> that I didn't fit in the way that people wanted me to fit and that there are other people that don't fit and not allowed to fit in any way shape or form yeah um, so when I would go to school you know I was always afraid because literally I'd have like razors up to my neck from these kids right yeah. like because I looked on the outside apparently very pretty or something but i didn't have like the money to to dress the way sure. that these kids you know like remember it was like esprit and gas and mm -hmm. this and that uh but my mom was a seamstress so she would make my clothes with me and i thought like you know going to michael's and you know getting fabric and i was making something interesting but they would just kick the shit out of me because i looked like a wackadoo to them you know like it was just like it didn't and then and then then I would like work really hard at that would like um I I got a job um uh um taking these wholesale magazines and uh I would get a penny for every page that I ripped out that was a misprint and I would do that till my fingers bled. And I did that so I could get a pair of pants from the Limited Express. And then I was like if I do that and get this done, then maybe I'll have one day where they're not gonna kick the shot at me yeah and so i get i'm on the school bus i'm in my lemon express pants they were white with black polka dots um i go into the cafeteria and all the cool kids start waving to me like and, and then i felt like i was like in a movie looking yeah. back on it like i'm literally looking behind <laughs> me and then it's like ah, 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 like 
oh my God, it's the pants. <laughs> you were invited to be with the Heathers. Exactly, the Heathers, right? Speaking of, Daniel Waters, who did Happy Campers, yeah. wrote Heathers. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow, crazy. And that was one of my favorite movies. And so I walk up to this table, <clears throat> and then these kids had uh, um, uh, napkins with ketchup on it. And they start throwing these napkins at me with the ketchup on it. And I ran into the bathroom, started crying, and then I looked down, oh, and I had no. my period. And so I had bled through these white pants... And that was my oh, first experience. My like God. it was like so they were waving me over, you, waving me over because I bled through my pants. And they and they were they trying just to mock you. Yeah. Oh my God. So <laughs> then I was like, okay, I need to get the fuck out of here. Yeah. You know, I need to get the fuck out of here. The, the final incident. And how old are you at that point? Uh, oh gosh. 12 maybe so eighth grade type of thing it was yeah it was actually seventh i think seventh grade and then um uh missouri uh ha is like the state of fireworks right yeah so it was around fourth of july and i remember waking up in the middle of the night because they threw a brick of fireworks i had my my window i lived in like a ranch small ranch house and they threw a brick of fireworks onto my bed, and my bed was lit on fire. And um, I was like, okay, I got to get the fuck out of this place. Yeah. And, you know, it, I saw this this ad in, in the Omaha World Herald uh, for a modeling school, and it said that if you went to this school, that you would meet agents from big cities. And I was like, that's it. That's how I'm going to get out. Yeah. That's how I'm going to be safe. And your your mom was a beauty queen. Did I read that right? My mom was, my mom actually, my father um, grew up with money. Uh, he lived two blocks away from my mom. They met when they were 14. My mother did not grow up with any money. Uh, that's how she became a seamstress. Uh, and, you know, uh she but she was extraordinarily beautiful and she still is and somehow managed to do what uh, apparently i could not which <laughs> in school which was you know uh make beautiful dresses and and was loved and adored and and yeah she was she was a beauty queen but she didn't want you to be involved in like kid pageants or anything like that it wasn't no john bonnet ramsey thing type no of my mom <clears throat> my mom really taught me in 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 retrospect I, I feel like my mom in a way was like a caged bird yeah you know she has a beautiful voice she can make anything with her hands like she essentially built our house you know she, like i mean cabinets every like she's an extraordinary artist yeah um she taught me about film about music um wow. And and in a way that was not laissez-faire, but it was just uh, she taught me about it because it was what she loved, um, and it wasn't. It's almost like I. It was like singing to someone's secrets, right? Yeah. Like I was singing to my mother's sort of secret life. Yeah. I can see that now. I didn't know that then. I think she was very s sad. Um, mm. You know, when I was a child, I remember it. 
one point a couple years ago, she said, you know, maybe I sound like a terrible mother for saying this, but you were my best baby because mm. you didn't need anyone but yourself. And you could, you could, you know, you just wanted to read or draw or, um, you know, you had all these imaginary friends and so I could just finally rest. Yeah. And she had four children. Wow. And, and I was like, I thought that, I was like, is it, did I dream this or did you spend a lot of time in bed crying in the dark? And I don't mean to be a bummer, guys. I'm not trying to be a bummer. <laughs> no, it's okay. People like that. Um, and she said, no, that wasn't a dream. I, I She was had horrific migraines. She got, did go through. She was very sad and, you know, uh, went through a lot of things that, you know, as a young mother, um, is, is being a mom in general is fucking hard. Being a yeah. parent is fucking the most exhilarating, horrifying, beautiful, terrifying. It's uh, it's everything mashed together. It's like someone takes your heart out of your chest, and then it's in another person and all of your limbs, and it's just out there in the world, right? Yeah. And then, you know, I think even, I mean, even now, but during that time, it's like there's these expectations, right, of, like, what it means to be a good mom. But she was really, you know, in pain a, a lot of the time. And and so when she told me that, I was like, oh, my God, I, so I'm not crazy. Yeah. I really was al alone. And it wasn't because my mom was a bad mom. It was just because she needed some rest. But I spent the majority of my childhood by myself. Yeah. And that was part of me becoming an artist. Of really. course. So your mom sounds like someone who had the same talents and inclinations you had, but had no way to express it or explore it. Yes. Where she was from. I mean, did she ever tell you at some point, like, you know, I, I kind of wanted to be an actress or I kind of wanted to do this? and Or was it something she just, she had bottled it all up her whole life? It was all... But I bottled up. I, I it was a typical like almost like fifties mom. That was like a, a, a thing that happened a lot by all these amazing women. Yes. that didn't know what to do. And I think she learned that from her mother, my grandmother, who was a, a great love of my life. And um, you know, this idea of being silenced and not and it didn't mean that my grandmother wasn't silenced by my grandfather. It's it, it's a societal intergenerational thing yeah and i think intergenerational trauma right so um when i was very young my mother would never like if we you'd order food if something was wrong she would never say anything now she's annoying <laughs> sorry mom but it's fucking annoying sometimes you know like now she always has something to say about yeah, something yeah. but but she i don't think she was she was ever given permission to do so yeah you know and at some point either we give ourselves the permission or people come into our lives that give us the permission to say hey you know you can have boundaries you can ask for what you want and you don't have to feel guilty about that and and even if you feel a, an extremely looming uh, feeling like I do often that there will be some kind of punishment for it uh there are those moments where you rise above it and yeah. you're like, no, I'm fucking going for it. Yeah. So your mom is raising f four kids and your parents still together at this point? Uh, no, they 
separated when I was 14. I found out in the the school aisle of Kmart, which was actually very upsetting. <laughs> the reason why it was upsetting is because I love the I love paper and I love pens and I love uh, trapper keepers and uh, <laughs> fresh pencils and things like that. And I had, I had gone to New York for the summer for the first time. And you were modeling at this point. Modeling, yeah. yeah. And um, when I went to New York, it it was... That, by the way, that must have been huge when you went to New York. You're a 13-year-old girl from Nebraska <clears throat> whose yeah. dad's working tenements, and you get discovered by an agent at a competition. At, they at, just came to the modeling school. Apparently, I said... Uh, he told me this recently. He said... Do you remember what you said to me when you were 13? I was like, nah. <laughs> he said, why do you want to be an artist? And I said, I want to be a star. Wow. I, and then I realized that my definition of what being a star is is so completely different than what <laughs> mo- I think most people think. What do you think w- it meant at that time? That I, I, I wanted to be something that people could look to and feel hope yeah that's great i mean i think that is you know i've never thought about that before that is what a star is in the sky so that is what a star is in hollywood for people it's like something that gives them aspirations yeah that's amazing i never thought that it was like because in nebraska it's so flat right so yeah all there is a sky and so i would look up to the stars and i would say okay that's my grandmother there and this is this person there or that's like I would look. I I would name stars and look at stars, and and they were a savior to me and yeah. and an inspiration to me because it was a reminder that there was something so much bigger than than the you know than the drudgery or the challenges of like daily life. It was magical, mystical, powerful. It's God. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And so when you uh, you go to New York, you get picked now. Was your mom freaking out about this? Your dad? I mean, that, that's probably their little thirteen-year-old girl to go to New York and this. My mom came with me oh, came with for you, that yeah. summer. Yeah, and and where were you living in New York? And at that time, where were we? Were we on Eighth and something? I think we were on Eighth and Broadway. Yeah, Eighth and Broadway in New York, and uh, uh, <laughs> um. Ethan Broadway in New York in the 80s. Yeah, what a cool time. 90s. 90s it was like 94. 94, okay. That yeah. awful fucking blizzard. Oh, God, I'm traipsing yeah. around in terry cloth bike shorts. And that's that's still like old New York at that point, That was too. pre-Giuliani. Yeah, yeah. That was like New York, New York. That's the height of the AIDS epidemic. There's a lot, of, a lot of crime, but there's a lot of life, too. Yeah. It was real life. Was, was it scary to you? Were you there? Just like, were you just like, this is amazing? Did you did you take to it even at that age? I took to it in oh gosh, it's how do I explain this? It's really a paradox. So I took to it in terms of like when I was nine I saw a book by Nan Golden in a magazine. And Nan Golden is a very prolific mm-hmm. reportage photographer and, and her work really moved me. I couldn't get the book in Nebraska because there was no internet at that time. And I also love dance and love film. And I begged my parents to save money to take me to a big city so I could get this book by Nan called The Ballad of Sexual Dependency and to see the Martha Graham Dance Studio. My mother saved the money. 
that was the first time I ever had been on a plane. Uh, and I remember going to Chicago. The, the buildings were so tall. I'd never seen anything like it before. I wanted to get a quote-unquote real croissant, which <laughs> we got at a mall, you know? Yeah. My dad ate the fucking croissant. Uh, I carried it on a plane, like, in my lap, like it was, like, you know, some f- fucking, like, rare, you know, uh, whatever. Like, you know, like the golden chalice or something. And woke up in the morning, and he had eaten it. Um, but I got the book, and I got to see the Martha Graham Dance Studio. And it was amazing to me. And so, going to New York was to have access to the art that I needed and wanted that I couldn't get where I came from. Yeah. And at the same time, a and 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 I couldn't I didn't know this then because I was far too young. Uh um at the same time, you know, a, a really scary thing. Um I remember they went through my suitcase at the agency and my mom again saved money to get me nice clothes. And they took these nice clothes that we got, like the Gap or Banana Republic, and said, "Ugh, what is this?" <laughs> and then, hence, that's how I ended up in like pink terry cloth bike shorts from the seventies, from like some like Pat Fields or something like that, yeah, Pat traipsing around in a, in a blizzard. You know what I mean? <laughs> to go to these casting calls, and then they would make my mother like sit outside of these rooms, and you know, tell me to take my clothes off. And so when they tell you to take your clothes off, it's not like fully naked. You just bras and panty and you just have to turn. No, you take your clothes off. Really? Yeah. I changed the laws with that, but I was about to say, they, I I can't imagine they still do that. No, no, I, 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 yeah, I I changed the laws. And you were, and you were underage too at that point. Yeah. And then, you know, like obviously, you know, as I got older and, then I really fucking called out the industry about that. Yeah. Because I was like, okay, so in the rest of the world, this is child pornography. Yeah. But I can do Italian Vogue at 14 years old, naked in a bathtub and being given champagne and, you know, with the most famous, you know, photographers in the world and, and, you know, supermodels or whatever. And that's acceptable, but there's no union. There's nothing yeah. To protect these children, and then, you know, you, you, you know, your, like your, then the lies of, like, okay, your child is safe. Just sit outside. It, it, there, it's not like sag after. There's no, there was no, there's no guild. There, there is no, there one now. Well, now they have much stricter laws. I did a piece in the New York Times um, where I called them out on it. And then that the heads of the CFDA called freaking out. And I was like, it's plain and simple. It's really fucking simple. Take a fucking cue from sag Yeah. Like, take a cue. There's no reason why any child should be allowed to leave their home, not have a tutor on set, not truly be chaperone, not be on, you know child hours right yeah like you know how strict it is for sure in our industry right and and in the fashion industry was essentially uh to me it is you know like sex trading it you're put in positions where you were told that you were so lucky to be there Mm -hmm. and for me i was that's the the paradox is is this if if i didn't do um 
uh, what I was told to do, then I was afraid I'd be sent home. Of course. And if I was then sent home, then I wouldn't be safe. And then I also felt then I was that to if I didn't do it, then I wasn't um, a good girl, and that I wasn't being appreciative. Yeah, you know, because it, again, when you're working with these masters, you you you're too young to think that they want to hurt you. Yeah, but you're so. But it, you, the photographers in general. So the photographers are kind of running the show. Photographers, editors, makeup artists, yeah. hairstylists, agents. Are they complicit in this, or is they're it, completely ig- complicit? Are they in ignorant it. of it? Or? No, they're not ignorant. They're complicit because they got away with it forever. Yeah, it's like you don't bring a fourteen-year-old, whether it it's from like the Ukraine or Russia or Omaha or whatever, and then throw a bunch of money at them and say, "Put on a bikini," and and when it's sixteen degrees, then take off your bikini and then do this and this and this. You know, and then you're working again with the top fucking people that people would kill to work with. You should be so lucky, right? Yeah. And then it's like they're throwing money at you, and it's it's at that time That's in crazy. the '90s, right? In the '90s, like remember how powerful supermodels were? Absolutely, yeah. The most powerful, and so I just, but I was the littlest. I was the youngest, and I was too young to understand that. I was being sexualized mm. because I was just coming. I was I was going through puberty. I was, I and then there's a shame that comes, and sure. and you know I'm a psychologist, and I, you know, one tricky thing that I think that uh, is really important for people to know is that uh, kids get very confused because they could be titillized by something or an experience, and then confuse that mm-hmm. and be told oh, you know, this is okay. And then that's where the conflict comes in, right? Yeah. Because they're like, your body's changing, your hormones are changing. And it's 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 just a very confusing thing to do to someone and to, to any kid. And, and that's why I was so hardcore about speaking out about it because ultimately it's like, you know, that, that like when an industry is making so much money off of children and not being blatantly called out for it and not wanting a union because then they can't get away with it. Yeah. Like, sorry, no more. Done. Yeah. Donezo. Fuck. That. Now, d- did you have, and you have to go too explicit to this, but do you have photographers that y- y- you felt were, were predatory? I was raped many times. By, by the photographers or just different people? Uh, and, several and, people, yeah. Photographers. Um, and so at that point when that's happening, do you, I didn't do you see know yourself rape, as being raped? I, you just think it's like, this is what you have to do to yeah. make it? No, it wasn't not to make it. It wasn't to make it. I remember like one of the first times that it happened, it was like I was sent to a test shoot um, for something like uh, um, with a particular photographer and um, asked me to take off my clothes, so I do that. Then, then he said, "You should shave your pussy like my girlfriend." Whoa! At fourteen years old, and I didn't even know, know what that means, really, or is it what that's about. I I didn't know that as a fourteen year old. I like I had just learned how to shave my legs. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, yeah, it, that not. Oh, you need to groom your pussy. 
because that's what men want. Yeah. You know, like, the, there were things that happened to me as a child that are so brutal, and, and I'm very open about it. I'm being very open yeah. here with you. Um, I mean, I've, I've been speaking about these things for a very long time, very openly, but I think it's important to be explicit. Of course. Um, I... Before people knew what roofies were or date rape drug, I was being given those drugs, you know, when I was in Paris, Milan, London, you know, the, and and being taught to take them by some of the most. And were they Valiums or were they just sort of like greeny? They were roofies. Yeah, yeah. but I. But we then again, no one knew what that was. Then I, I was taught by two very the most famous supermodels in the world. Uh, that because uh, I had some I all of a sudden I had a lot of anxiety because not all of a sudden I was just a baby yeah and my mom wasn't there and all of a sudden I was becoming ex- very famous and I had 26 shows to do in Paris and I was getting up at like four in the morning you know for Chanel then Karl Lagerfeld then Gucci the da, 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 blah 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 and so uh, I was taught jump on the bed as fast as you can jump on the bed at the Ritz right? So imagine, you're a 14 year old at the Ritz, right? You know, shoving, literally like they would pay us in cash. So then you're going through the airports with like hundreds of thousands of dollars in cash stuffed in your underwear, right? And, but, so jump on the bed as fast as you can because I'd broken out into shingles from the stress of all this work and then I was upset because I was supposed to be doing uh, correspondence school because they don't have tutors, right? Um, And then you call down to the front desk and then a call for the doctor. The doctor's going to come. Your heart rate's going to be up and you say that you have terrible anxiety and they would give you rohypnol. So I would wake up in places with bruises, not knowing where I was, with men in foreign countries, women in foreign countries. Uh, times where I, I remember like calling like my aunt or my uncle like, Pretending like everything was okay, but yet covered in bruises at someone's home that I didn't even know where I was. Yeah. You know, I I had no idea what was happening to me. And then it was just like, okay. Again, I, at the neuroplasticity of the brain at that time. Yeah. Is it, it, that's like the, one of the most important developmental times for the brain. Right. And so you're, it's if to simplify it it's like we know what kids are like in junior high or in high school and how we try and fit in mm-hmm. right and and this was just the same thing as that but in a, in in a situations and circumstances in which no adult was taking responsibility they were encouraging they're manipulating the, the situation they were yes. creating it yeah because you were just a sexualized doll so it's sort of like a soft form of sex trafficking in the modeling industry. That's exactly, industry. exactly. Yeah. And that's why I quit. So, I quit God, when I was Jamie, 18. Um, I mean, I can't even express like how, how sorry I am that happened. And obviously, I know this is something you've had to deal with your life. But did you have any um, one to talk to at this point? Did you have friends? No. There's something that you couldn't even address with your mom in any way? Was there... No. So you, you, you kept inside because you, you felt that if you were to tell anyone, then this money that I'm assuming was also helping your family 
helping you would would be gone and then you'd be a a disappointment to i felt i would disappoint my family and i would disappoint um the and the the industry which has now made you a supermodel I mean, you were yeah. you were a supermodel, and and that's but there's the rub, right? The rub is, they didn't make me a supermodel. Yeah. That's that's the thing about being an artist mm. is that we think it's other people that make us. Someone made you, and and there's a difference between being made by someone. We're not made by anyone. We are <clears throat> educated mentored informed inspired uh and lifted up by those that see and hear and know us and believe in us and that's a very different thing absolutely you know it's like uh, it's like if you have a block of marble and you chip away at it and then the sculpture is there and that that process is is constant and but it, it but it takes the willingness of the artist to get up every single day for sure and do it right and that's the magic of it you know and every human being has that magic it doesn't matter if you work at a bank if you are a teacher if you are a janitor it, like it, we all have infinite magic inside of us and to me you know when I'm, when, when we talk about creativity and talk about these things and uh, I get, you know, messages of like, well, how can I be an actor or a director? Or how can I write? Or how can I do what you do? And it's like, well, you know, or I, I'm not worth this or that or the other. It's like, no, we are all, we all have a value that's so powerful. And it's just, if we are blessed enough to, to finally be surrounded by the people, and it doesn't even take a surrounding. I've had some of the most divine experiences being on a train from Ocean Avenue in Brooklyn, you know, yeah, like where I lived on Ocean Avenue, Ocean Avenue between I and J, um, like going in the city. Some of those divine experiences really just by someone smiling at me on a train, you know, like we, there are teachers and angels are everywhere, yeah, you know. Absolutely. And I think that um, one thing that I realized last year, I did this interview with this beautiful journalist, Michael Haney, and he called me out in the most really exquisite way and so gentle. And he's like, why won't you ever take any credit? Mm. And I was like, huh? He's like, why won't you ever just acknowledge that you're an icon? I was like, "Whoa, whoa, 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 I'm not an icon. Like... You know, he's like, I was like, I don't think of myself like, like, I, I just feel like I'm scratching the surface, right? And he's like, I'll ask you a question. You'll start to go in the store into the, into the details in the story. And then you'll stop and then you'll give the cre- credit to everyone else. Interesting. And so that, that for you, because this is something we've talked about before the podcast began too. Yeah. Uh, obviously it's from your childhood. Yeah. Right. Is it because you wanted to protect your mom? Do you, do, have you have you excavated what that's about? Like y- you not wanting to focus on yourself and focus on other people and give it to other people and kind of like. Um, I think I felt like I was born 
in a way that just somehow was like a disturbance to people, like that I was wrong, like something about me was just wrong. And, and I just, I didn't, yeah, I, I just, going back to the good girl thing, it was like, okay, you know, like I, I often describe it as like a, a, a puzzle, right? Like we're given this like a puzzle box, right? With the image on it. And then we're like all asked somehow to like put our little piece to form the, Im- to, to be a part of the picture, which is truly an illusion ultimately, so that we all fit into this grand picture of something. Yeah. And I always felt like I was tr- just trying to shove my piece in and I never fit, mm. you know? And none of us do, you know, but we all do. It's just the picture that is being presented to us isn't real. It's real, yeah. You yeah. know, it's not real. Yeah. And I have, you know, a terrible fear of letting people down. And it's something that I work very, uh, you know, do a lot of therapy about mm-hmm. all that stuff. And, because I feel a very, very, very deep responsibility. Yeah. To, to uh, do what other artists and other people have done for me, which is to make me feel like I belong here. Yeah. Now, it's so amazing you say that. So the uh, the ther- I don't know if you do cognitive behavioral therapy, but yeah, one of the things. Yeah. Uh, uh, dialectical behavioral sure. therapy. Sure. So one of the things that they always talk about is like we we create a mantra. Yes. from her childhood yes. have you identified what your mantra is that sort of is a thing that got you up in the morning and is also slowly killing you you know uh oh wow well yeah i mean i've gone actually through several um one is that i'm a fraud mm-hmm. like somehow will be discovered that i'm somehow a fraud uh and that I'm a bad girl. Have you pinpointed the moment in your childhood where you created that mantra? Or even guessed or conjectured or imagined a moment where that happened? One of my first memories uh, was, mm, was I, my dad was carrying me up the stairs and I was really tired and I didn't want to walk. And he put me down on the ground and I clung to his leg. And he's like, you're a big girl. Get up on your feet and walk. Wow. And I can walk. You know, and I remember how, like the pain of that. Yeah. Which is that I just wanted to be held by my daddy. Yeah. You know, and then I felt ashamed. I felt like ashamed that. And I, I, I was like a toddler or something. Sure. But these things stick with they us, stick right? They stick with you. Very much so. And and also I wasn't like, and I uh, I could never really sleep at night. You know, I like to like read ever since I was really little or write because my creativity comes at night. But I wasn't allowed to sleep in my parents' bed. And so I always remember like sleeping on the floor next to my mom hmm. on the floor f- freezing and I would do this weird thing where I'd take my hands and I'd press on my eyeballs so I could see glitter. 
I know that sounds bananas. No, I get that. But yeah. I was like, I wanted to see some kind of magic. But really what I wanted was just to be in my mother's arms. Yeah. You know, and, but to be, but it was not allowed because I was not, we were not allowed to sleep in the bed because that would be disturbing their sleep. But I feel like I, I, there's, you know, something in, you know, in psychology, a theory about safety and security, and you need both of them to create like a hug, right? Yeah. And the extreme example of this would be, um, like, you have a parent that takes the kid, your the child to the park, the child's on the monkey bars, they fall, the parent runs up, bad monkey bars, terrible monkey bars, we're never coming back here again, you're going to be safe, right? Another example is, okay, are you okay? Are you hurt? No? Cool. Get it back on the monkey bars. My dad always said, if they don't like you, fuck them. Yeah. And I was like, no. I, if they don't like you, fuck them. And it was very hardcore. Yeah. You know, and then I created a whole story about that, you know, because as a very empathetic person, I created a whole story. What happened to my daddy where he, you know, what happened where he wasn't allowed to feel feelings because how could you like, you know, like, but then I became that like, then I was like, okay, I'm not allowed to express my emotions. And then when I try and share my emotions with my parents, you know, it, it just, it wasn't heard. It wasn't seen. It wasn't allowed. And, and it's not because that they were bad people. It's because they were working through their own fucking yeah. shit as young parents, yeah. you know, really young parents. And, and I think that people don't know how challenging it is. And, and, and then, then, then how do we break that pattern, that story, right? That mantra, how do we yeah. break that thing of, of ultimately, I would say the mantra is that I'm not safe. That would be my running mantra. I, I don't feel safe. Yeah. And um, wow, that's... And now, have you been able to talk to your parents about any of this stuff as an adult? I don't know if they're alive or what, but they're have you alive, been able yeah. to like sit with them in a way that's like obviously gentle because, you know, our, our parents are never going to be as evolved as we are psychologically, you know? I've tried... Yeah, I've had, um, you know, several conversations with them about this and... Because I am very open. The irony of it is that somehow it created a rebel in me. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the thing. Is like these, these these mantras. You know, they always say that the thing that that fuels you and motivates you, and has and on some level has made you the success and the icon that you are, is also the the, the thing that can behind the scenes slowly be killing you and hurting you yes. in ways that you don't see. Yeah. God, that's so true. It's so true. Yeah. I. I'm a firm believer that we create, promote, allow anything that comes into our life. And whether people are spiritual, believe in God or not, I do. I do believe that we pick our parents. And I don't go through my life feeling sorry for myself. Yeah. Um, if anything, it's like Carrie, what Carrie Fisher says. You take your broken heart and you turn it into art. Yeah. And I don't think that that people have to suffer to yeah. understand other human beings. However, I will say that I can, it's sort of, it's like, uh, it's like a constellation in a way. Like, you know, when you're driving sometimes and all of a sudden you're like, Oh my God, fuck If That hadn't happened. And that didn't happen. And that didn't happen. Then yeah, all of a sudden of you like see the picture. Yeah. And, 
And I think my my deep connection to human beings is because I've been through these things. Absolutely. And and my it's not just a need. We were talking about this earlier. It's like it's like bigger than you, right? It's like then people are like, oh, how do you do this? It's like, well, because it has to, it's the kind of thing where it's not even a choice. It doesn't feel like a choice. Yeah. It is. Because it's, it's, it comes through and it's like, if I'm not doing it, I'm in fucking agony. Yeah. Like truly, if I'm not, if I'm not doing this it's storytelling and, and connecting, it's really about the connecting. It's about the intimacy. It's about the intimacy. It's what every human being needs and wants, which is to be seen, to be heard, and to be felt. And, and yeah. acknowledged and present. And you know what that's like when you get off, like when you're like on stage or when you're performing and it's not even a performance. It's like we're not playing at anything, but it is play. It's play because the joy that comes from it and that high that you get from it, but the high that we get from it is actually, it's you and me here right now. Yeah. It's this. And this thing, th that's the alchemy, right? And that is so extraordinary. Yeah. Like, that's everything. Absolutely. You know, and, and few, few get that. Mm -hmm. And, but we can, you know, hopefully look back on our lives and move, and, and in our futures and tomorrow or whatever, like, continue to refine our capacity to t not only tell the truth but in our craft to be so present that everyone else can not just pick up or feel it but be touched by it yeah because all people need that yeah that's that's how we get to be lucky is we get to tell people's story yeah now did you with your parents was there a moment in your life specifically i have so many questions was there a moment in life where you you made the choice to forgive them and do you remember when that was i mean was that a thing where like because i because i mean for for, for yeah. me you know as an actor looking at, and what was I, it like for you with your parents well well you know m my dad was a, a typical eisenhower republican who just sort of like you don't know, talk about shit his bird in the bee speech was like keeping your pants boring and fundamentalist christian my mom was a very creative emotional woman who who drank that's what she did in, in yeah. the suburbs and um she loved you know she loved me and my brothers very much and she How many siblings was you have? two older brothers so she was coming like she was coming from angela's ashes you know that was yes. her family you know yes um their, her parents were dead when she was like very very young because they're they all died of drinking basically yes. Um, so she a was lot a, like my family. A, a drunk mo most of her life. She she doesn't drink now because it interferes with the pills. Hey, yeah. Um, <laughs> but she's she is an, she's an amazing woman, and uh, I know there was a time when I was in acting school. Everyone was like, "You have to talk to your mom about that. You have to confront her and work through it." And blah 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 blah. And and when what I tried, where did you go to school? For I went to NYU grad school for acting. Oh, you did. Yeah. So did you know Elizabeth Kemp? I know the name. She was the head of the actress studio. She was my best friend. Oh, the actress studio, yeah. She um, passed away in my arms a few years ago. Uh, oh, wow, Jesus. She was amazing. Um, but NYU, that's a beautiful, beautiful... beautiful. It was, I, I went from engineering school to that, so it was fun to be like, whoa. <laughs> um, so, and when I tried to talk to my mom about it, my mom was like, ah, she just started crying immediately, and I just never brought it up again with her or my dad. 
you know. How does that feel for you? Uh, it, it, you there was a it? point, and I guess this is why I brought that up to you, is because there's a point where I had to to forgive her. Yes. And know that she was doing her best and love her and let it go. Yes. And and that helped me forge a great relationship with my mom because I, I was hold I was holding on to the preciousness of my resentment in a way that I thought fueled me as an artist and as a person and uh, made me like oh, tear my collar up and smoke a cigarette and blah blah blah. But then it's just fucking hurt. It's just stupid, yeah. So um It's not and, stupid. And, That's a natural reaction. Of course. So I invite you to be gentle with yourself <laughs> on that. Yes, I get that. So, uh, and my dad also not being there emotionally, um, that was also what he, what he was, you know, we're, we're all on some levels automatons of our upbringing and what yes. we're d- developing. And luckily now there's so much knowledge and, and information available to us that we can actually excavate it, which our parents yes. didn't have that luxury. That's, they didn't. And that's what's so beautiful about all the different kinds of therapies and you know, really understanding how the brain works and developmental trauma. So, and- so you've you, you've obviously like are a very well uh, well read, and you've you've examined yourself, and you've looked into the heart of darkness, and you've <laughs> yes. done it all. When when did you start that process? Because that's not an easy thing to begin, and it's not like because you were doing the modeling, and uh, you know, I don't want to go make it about the biography too much, but like. From the modeling, you the acting kind of came right on the heels of that. I'm I'm, I'm assuming, right? You, I lost the first love of my life when I was 17 years old. He died of thalassemia. I and, know what that is. Uh, it's a very rare form of sickle cell anemia. Oh wow! And he was a very very prolific and brilliant artist. And uh, I, he took a pill, and they killed him. And then President Clinton like got up on the news and used our photographs. Oh, His wow. name was Davide Sorrenti. And um, uh, then I became the poster child for heroin chic. Yeah, so so <laughs> as I was saying, because when you're, I mean, every model I knew in the 90s in New York, when I, when I moved to New York in the 90s, I mean, the, the, the drug abuse is just sort of, it's almost impossible not to either abuse drug or alcohols in that world because of, because of the, you're sitting around, because of the party, the access, people are feeding it to you. Yeah, and I mean, you're, you'd be. I was on shoots, and I like the first time I ever tried heroin. I thought I was gonna smoke pot for the first time. So, so because <laughs> they said do you do dope, and I was like, oh, I that guess I'll try like weed. Pot, yeah, and then it was like, then they pulled out like some powder, and I was like, oh shit, I guess if I don't do this, I'm gonna be kicked off the shoot. And this was with a very fucking famous photographer. Yeah. And everyone was doing this thing, and I did it, and I started vomiting. And you smoked it? No, I, I, they snorted it, and yeah. I, I started vomiting, and I was like, what is that? And I was like, is that cocaine? And they said, no, it's dope. And I was like, I'm, but dope is pot. And they said, and they laughed, and then it was like, no, it was heroin. And at that time, um, you know, it, it, like every person was using in a way that was like insane. And I, again, being a child, just wanted to fit in. Sure. So again, if I was in high school or junior high or whatever, it was like one of those things where it was like, oh crap, if I don't do this, Mm -hmm. like then 
I'm out, you know? Yeah. And so it really felt, and again, also at that age, everything's so Shakespearean, you know, it's like everything is life and death. Everything is so high stakes. And, um, you know, I, uh, it, it was just of that era. And so when Davide had passed, um, I never, I had, learned from everyone that I wanted to learn from. I'd worked with all the greats and I never wanted to be a part of that industry again because I felt like I was an outsider because I had lost my best friend. You know, I lost my love and people could say, oh, you're too young to love that deeply. But that was like, he was like a soulmate of mine and and, you know, to have someone die that was that famous, and then I was famous, and then to have the President of the United States do a, a, a live conference about you, and then take, he took this photograph, Clinton took this photograph that Davide and I did um, when Kurt Cobain died, and we went to St. Mark Street, and we got all these posters of, like, Janice, and Kurt, and Jerry, and, like, you know, Jim, and, like, all, like, all of these young artists that had passed way too early and we were doing an homage to them and he took that picture and essentially used it like propaganda and said that we were glamorizing something when we were actually saying the opposite. Yeah. And so I I was like, that's it, I'm done. I'm done. Like I can't So that was the moment. That was that, the that was the moment. Yeah. And I I always knew that the the whole goal of me going into fashion was because I always wanted to be a filmmaker. I was writing since I was literally five years old and I, I, I was very methodical in a, in a way, both out of survival and also out of my deep desire as a creative human being to learn and then figure out the steps. But then remember then there were no multi hyphenates. You couldn't just go yeah. and like, uh, like, there were a lot of model actresses back then. Th no. There were none. Yeah. Uh, there were none. And then they said I was crazy. They're like, well, you're going to quit? <laughs> I was making millions of dollars. Yeah. At the height of your career, I was a child. And they're like, that's not going to happen. It was Daniel Waters who saw a picture of me in a magazine. Oh, wow. And Daniel, wrote who wrote Happy Campers, uh, wrote, uh, it's basically like a Midsummer Night's Dream. Mm-hmm wrote this part for me, I auditioned like six times with the brilliant Denise Novi and Mike DeLuca and got the part. And then I remember the first day on set, they called action. Um, and I turned to Justin Long and I was like, fuck, what do I do? <laughs> and he's like, now you act. <laughs> and I was like, thank God for this kid. It seems so stupid and silly, but I was like, Oh shit. And I was so like all the little things, like when you first get on a set, like they hand you a grocery bag. And I was like, why is it not <laughs> making any noise? It's made out of fat, like all like the magic of like filmmaking. And, yeah. and it, from, you know, from that, it just went, then I met Ava Kaufman. And, 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 and by the way, like it, it's, people should know that, that that is your first, not only your first film, it's your first acting experience, period. Yes. And it was a film that, I don't even know if you can still see it. I don't know if it's yeah. streaming it is. Yeah. Um, but Sundance is obviously the most prestigious film festival, maybe in the world, definitely in America. Yes. And to be in that limelight as an actress in a good role that you were great in. Thank you. I don't know if you, were you nominated for awards for that? 
I think I was actually, but but this is the funny thing about, and this is what was so pure about it, is that um, I had no training. Yeah. My only training came from watching my friends. It was Leo DiCaprio, Tobey Maguire, Stephen Dorff, and Joaquin Phoenix. Heard of them, yeah. And, and, and not to, I'm not trying to name <laughs> okay. drop, but these were my friends yeah. in New York. And uh, I think we were very tight because I never fucked them, uh, frankly. <laughs> you and, weren't part of the pussy posse. You no, weren't on the yeah, it, receiving but, So I'd sit and I'd watch them. I'd watch, I'd watch them rehearse their monologues. They would do scene studies every week. They would create characters for SNL even they weren't on SNL yet. I remember seeing Leo like on the edge of the bed when Titanic came out and I'll never forget the look on his face because he put his like in a prayer like this because the news came on and he saw like and you it's like when you see your friends when you see someone you love and you see them realize that their whole life has just changed yeah like that moment you know it was like that yeah and and their dedication to the craft was so, and and still is, yeah. everything, right? And so I learned from them. They taught me, when I said, that's all I want to do, I just want to be a filmmaker, they were the ones that taught me about the industry. They were the ones that set me up with, uh, you know, the my publicist, because they were like, was it Toby that said this? Oh, don't talk. I think it was Toby, but it was like basically never talk about anything about your life uh, that's private to you. And the only time you promote yourself is when you have a piece of work that's coming out. And and they would come to my premieres, like even with bloat, right? Or like, or I was like, oh, it's just like a little thing. He's like, nothing is little. Mm-hmm. Everything matters. Everything has meaning. And when you're again, like seeing, like Joaquin was uh, created this character that was so hilarious. Um, I don't know if you ever ended up doing it on SNL, but the fact that you prepare yourself to be on SNL even when you're not even invited on it yet because it's just fun for you yeah and that you have this group of people that were studying with with, you know these brilliant teachers and doing scene studies when all four of them were i i don't know if all four of them were on the cover of any fair that particular month that i remember this thing but like they were some you know now hitting as the biggest stars ever but it was about the work and the dedication and you know like uh oh my god Toby and I fucked up really bad with the Spider-Man thing so I was up for Spider-Man uh, but then we couldn't stop laughing because like you have, we had to like make out in a screen test and <laughs> poor Sam Raimi because uh, he really wanted me to get this thing and then all of a sudden like you know we're together in a room and he's like what the fuck is happening oh my god you know but like it's it was just a funny it's like a funny thing because uh, you know we were tight but like the the discipline right like really the level of discipline that it takes to make it. And so I'm so thankful for these people when I talk about like the people that educate and train us and, 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 and are are generous enough of spirit to share the process, you know, like Jason, for instance, like Jason Ritter and um, who's one of the most brilliant, you know, actors and you know his physicality it's like watching his dad it's like such a gift yeah and you know there was a moment speaking of sundance i was doing this film called bitch that was at sundance a few years ago 
And um, there was a scene where he was playing, where he had to be just fucking smashed. And what was beautiful about this movie was that, you know, uh, the filmmaker Mariana Palka and I had known each other for over seven years. Jason and I had done three projects together. We'd known each other for, I think, about 10 years at that point. And we can try and recreate history, but when you actually have history, with yeah. people it's just add something so different and i had to hate him in this movie and it made it so much more nuanced and beautiful yeah because i love him so much and so i was like how did you do that thing and he's like oh i spun myself around i spun myself around spun myself around da, 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 da. and he's like but how did you do that thing and there was we were losing light on one shot and it was a deeply emotional scene and they started with my coverage and it's i'm crying it's fucking so hardcore. Then they go to turn on him and he freezes. And they're like, I could feel that pressure. You know that pressure on set where it's like, we got to get this thing now, 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 now. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and I, I was like, it's me. You're with me. And he's like, I just don't know how you do that. Wow. And, 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 but that's like the brilliance of like, of that trust that you have in people because we learn so much from one another because I'm like always in awe of other artists and then when when we can help each other and learn from one another, it's like the most extraordinary experience. Yeah. And also, I imagine not always the experience on a set or a movie set, too, because that, that, that seems, I don't know how rare that is, but I don't think that's a lot of people's experience. It hasn't been my experience all the time. But it, so you, so early on, you had that, which is pretty, pretty remarkable. Yeah. Did I you feel as you got older, do you feel like it... Um, were you, were you let down? And yes, I had been. Yeah. I, I mean, there were definitely times where I was extremely let down on on projects. You know, when I what you know. Sorry, I have ADHD people, so if I bounce around <laughs> in a non-linear That's way, great. it's just because of that. Um, the Sundance thing, yeah, and the purity of first starting acting. I just was able to be so free and so true because Absolutely. I, I didn't know the hierarchy of anything. I didn't know who people were, right? Like I knew who my actor friends were or my writer friends, but I didn't know what a, an EP meant versus a producer versus the stu like, like, or, or a film festival, like, like again, Sundance. I didn't understand that level. Yeah. Um, I just was so fucking happy that I got to make that move and that I, I could say hey fuck you guys like you told me i was fucking crazy and that i would never work again because i'm quitting at the height of my career as a yeah. model as a child you know and it wasn't like a fuck you but it was really like a thank you you know like oh shit and and so i could be so free because i didn't feel like i had anything to lose right yeah. you know what i mean like, absolutely like like there is no like I didn't understand. You were more fearless than maybe yeah. a lot of actors are entering situations yeah, like that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And because there was not like, oh, if I fuck this up, then the box office and the this and the da 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 da. Like I didn't get that yet. What are the numbers this weekend? Yeah, yeah like I didn't I... understand that yet. Yeah. And it wasn't until I did a film called Bulletproof Monk. Chow Young Fat. By the way, he I, was a I, fucking I, I, disappointment. I, I'm I'm a I'm a little bit of I, I'm a kind of a, like a film nerd. So I'm a huge fan of of. Of Eastern martial arts films, I'm so a martial I. arts myself. So um, that's why I felt so. And obviously, like, so yeah, that was a, that movie was very disappointing to me as someone who's who was 
I was a big Chow Young Fat fan. I mean, fan. come on. Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon. Amazing. He, coming off of that movie, right? Amazing. This Bulletproof Monk, everybody wanted this freaking movie. It was movie. destined to be big. And and of course, like, you know when your agents are like, everybody wants this thing, and, da, 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 and, <laughs> and I'm like, I just really want it because I really fucking love his movie, and I yeah. would love to fucking just tell this story. Yeah. Again, I was still at that, you know, the precipice of of the and this is now a big studio film too yeah or is it chinese and oh, it was mgm mgm uh, chuck rovin yeah uh, so this is your in a way this is sort of poised to be your first big break in the studio well, system done pearl harbor oh that's right okay yeah. which i but i didn't know like what the big deal was honestly uh yeah. when i got the call from ca and they're like oh my god you got pearl harbor i was like I can't wait to tell this story. Yeah. You know, I get to like encapsulate like the 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 American the real innocence. Event, yeah. Uh, and in my grandfather served, and you know, like that's like it's going to be amazing. You know, like that's why I was so happy. But I didn't. I still like. What do you mean the biggest budget <laughs> film of all time? And what do you mean about da da da? Because I had auditioned for Kate's part, but then I was too young, and Jerry. Bruckheimer and Michael Bay wanted me in the movie so I sat with Michael and we wrote the part of Betty and oh, I wow. love the name because that was my grandmother's name that I never met she had passed away oh wow amazing um, and you know kept hearing all these things like you know uh, that he was very difficult and I was like oh, wait, what like that was not my experience in meeting this person uh, and even with working with him uh, but so get this movie all this hoopla, all this yada, yada, yada. Everyone's so excited. And I felt like everyone was so excited about it for reasons that were opposite from why I was so excited about it. Yeah. Um, and At this point, you're living in L.A. You're ensconced in the L.A. kind of like... I actually wasn't. Scene. You weren't. I kept my apartment in New York um, for as long as I couldn't. I never wanted to move to L.A. because I thought I was classist, racist xenophobic uh i couldn't just get on the street and talk to people but that's changed now i'm kidding anyway. lols <laughs> lols lols so you you booked uh from new york which is remarkable it was actually here i i well remember at the time when studios had money and they actually like gave so they people would, money they'd fly you out first class for a screen test and shit uh i i was at that point i don't know whose studio what studio this time i was living on but I was staying in Belushi's bungalow at the Chateau. Chateau. Oh, wow. Talk about history, yeah. And uh, I always felt like he would give me good luck. So whenever something big was happening, I would go there um, and stay in that bungalow. And at this point, you're, you're still not feeling like, as you're auditioning for Pearl Harbor, you're not feeling the, the, the jitters that most actors feel about like, you're just kind of like showing up like, what a great story. I get to tell it in my audition. Yeah. I get to tell it now. Because yeah. I didn't feel, again, I didn't, I wasn't in the space of, if I don't get this, I'm going to lose everything. So in other words, kids, no one should go to acting school. Just, just no. Work. You should definitely go to acting school. <laughs> you should definitely go to acting school. The jitters, well, because I was taught really early on, and I don't know who told me this, um, but they said, "Don't forget, like, if you ever walk into the room and you feel afraid, just remember that fear 
um, in the body uh, is the same uh, feeling as excitement. Yeah. It creates I the think same neural responses, as, as, an, right? as a comic, for sure, all the time. And it doesn't fucking always work. <laughs> yeah. You know, it doesn't always work. Yeah. But then I was like, okay, I can get down with that. But there was just truly, um, you know what it was? It was the first time I came here and to to and I went on uh, the Fox lot. And you, you know that big painting of Marilyn yeah. on the on the stage? I burst into fucking tears and I was like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? And then I felt something I had never felt before. And I was like, what am I feeling? What is this? What is this? And then I was like, oh my God, I'm home. Yeah. I'm home. You know, so it was a f one of the first times I ever felt safe. And that definitely changed throughout my career. Sure. But the first time I stepped onto that lot, I was like, oh my God, I'm home. Yeah. And so, you know, I had saved all my money from my from the fashion industry. So I didn't have to worry about the money aspect per se. I could just go in and and just tell the truth. Yeah. You know, and it shift it, 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 Bulletproof Monk, I would say it, it, it took me six years to recover from so, that movie. So Bulletproof Monk, so there's all leading, leading in like a, a, a linear arc or maybe algorithm arc to like, then Bulletproof Monk is sort of, Supposed to be the big breakout, and the movie was, uh, I don't know how, if it was a bomb or whatever, was, I know it was a disappointment. It was fucking but terrible. What was, you know, your experience on set, did that reflect that? You said Chow Young-Fat was- It the, was all of it, yeah. I, yeah. It was- You can you talk know, shit about Chow Young-Fat, he doesn't listen to this podcast. I, well, I mean, the, it was like, it was at a time where all of a sudden actors decided how many hours they were going to be working. Uh, so I don't know if he was on an eight hour day- which is basically, you know, like kid hours yeah. or 10 hours or something like that. Um, and I, I don't know, I think a lot of people don't know like how many hours we work a day, yeah. you know, and especially as a woman, it's like you go in, you know, and then you're there for like three hours for hair and makeup, which is obscene. Oh, yeah. And which is why I'm in Black Summer in my show, what I fucking love about it, I don't wear a stitch of makeup. I don't wear any makeup in that show. None. And, uh, it's it's really nice just to be raw, uh, but it's like three hours of hair and makeup. But really, it's like a lot of sitting around. Then the mm -hmm. dudes roll in like, you know, like <laughs> you know, like thirty seven minutes past their call time. Uh, you know, maybe five minutes if they're eager, um, and get like two minutes of hair and makeup. Not all of them. I don't mean to sound like a dick, but you know, yeah. But there's a lot of times that that really happens, um, and. Uh, I would say that's not for the great actors, though. Yeah, for sure. The great actors don't do that. Yeah. Um, uh, but when you're grumpy and tired and, and and the mediocre ones show up and do that, that's, it's extremely frustrating. Yeah, and so when you met Chow Yun-Fat and you, you'd seen him in Crouching Tiger, which was a seminal film. Oh, my God. And he well, was great in that. Well, I, to rewind, I, I screened, I screen tested six times for this. Oh, wow. And so when they were like, everyone wants this movie, everyone wants this movie. I am a big believer in, I, I always say, I, I'm not competitive. And then I really looked at that. I'm like, am I not com really not competitive? And then I'm like, oh, I can be extremely competitive, but I'm just competitive with myself. Yeah. 
And I don't know what's better or worse. I think that's better. I think most people would empirically say that's better. I don't know if that's better. Because I think that <laughs> we are... too hard on I think because we're harder on ourselves than yeah, yeah. we are on other people, right? You know, so yeah. like when people would like talk shit about other actors or whatever, I'm like, they're fucking dope. Or da 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 Or like, they should get that part because they would fucking kill it. Like... Like I, I always felt like there's so much to go around, and yeah. it, and it really wasn't until you know I got to a place where all of a sudden I was told the stakes, and I was told that I couldn't fail, and I was told, you know, like it, it's really like this um, psychosis that's put into you by the industry in a yeah. way of like, oh, you know. You know, they make everything feel so imperative and so important in every moment. And then you're reading a script and you're like, I don't get it. But then they, then it's like a reverse psychology thing um, that thank God I don't have to deal with anymore because uh, it takes a long time to find the right team. But like when, you know, you have, uh, you know, agents and teams and people around uh, that, you know, um, uh, you know, make you feel like it's life or death and yeah. that if you don't do it and kill it, then you're a failure to them. So then this is the first time you felt that type of pressure on this set. I, I like, felt it before. So it was like, because it was all the screen tests. So I did six yeah. screen tests, right? Six. And then it's my nuts. final one was an athletic test. And you I was, do martial arts too, which you, I'm I did all had, of my own stunts. I'm assuming I, you weren't trained in that at all. So you had to all of a sudden become a martial artist expert. I was at that point very athletic. Yeah. Why was I very athletic? Uh, because you learn very quickly in both fashion and in this industry that you have to fucking work your ass off, you know, to look the way that they want you to look. Yeah. You know, and so at that point, I, I like on Happy Campers. Actually, it's when I, I, I learned that from Dominique Swain. Dominique Swain, a beautiful woman. Um, and she was in the remake of Lolita and she was on a no carb diet and I'd never heard about that before. <laughs> and she would fucking run for hours oh and God. looking back on it, I'm like, Oh my fucking God, like this kid who is such a, and is such a gifted actor, like was just busting her ass yeah. because she already knew the stakes and I didn't, Yeah, you know, I started running on that uh, because I was like, well, I'll just give it a go. And then I sort of got like addicted to the feeling of like that runner's high kind of thing. Um, I was surfing every day and very athletic and very strong. So I could handle that part of it. But there, but imagine like going to this like gym, you know, on Sautel and there are Kung Fu masters and the Matrix team basically yeah. there. And then you're not told there's not like sides right they're like okay do a roundhouse kick do this do that do that do that, do that, do that. and i'm just like okay i'll just fucking make it up i guess and and the i knew i got the part because the director came to me and said uh you'll have to quit surfing why because it would be an insurance risk ah interesting so yeah. that's how i knew i got the part and then we trained for 6 months Good God, before you shot, you tried oh, to six months. months. Sean Williams got and I busted our fucking asses. What was asses. the budget on this film? It was, it, this was like the, the, the next biggest franchise. Yeah. Right? Like it was fucking a big deal. Yeah. 
And so we're in Vancouver. We're working our, no, Toronto, working our asses off, uh, training like 12 hours a day, kung fu, Chinese street fighting, uh, wire work. I mean, all of this stuff. And then you're you're doing all of this training, and then all of it, then I I was told, oh now you're too skinny, <laughs> and I was like, oh wait, it was, okay, I, I, now I'm too skinny. Oh my god, fuck, I'm too skinny. How am I too? I'm, I, okay, well, now so then I was like, I'll eat I, ten Hagen Dazs bars a day. What do I have to do? Like I, I can't win, I can't lose. I don't, what, what yeah, do I do? Yeah. What, so I was like, I don't get it. I'm just doing what you're telling me to do. I wasn't I was starving myself. I was eating. Yeah. I was just training for twelve hours a day, um, learning how to run up walls and do amazing things. And and the real issue came down to. Um, uh, you know, just poor direction, and 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 not poor direction uh, per se by the filmmaker, by the director, but Paul Hunter, who's a lovely man, um, and a very gifted, um, you know, uh, director, it came from short form narrative, right? Mm. But then you had another producer on it uh, that um, fancied himself as a director, and then you Chuck. Rovin, uh, um, you know, who's, uh, again, a very prolific producer. Um, and it, it, sometimes, it, like, it's the first time that I learned that when you have, like, th- when when there's not the alchemy there. Yeah, the synergy. There's no synergy between the artists. Yeah. yeah. And so when, when you have a first-time feature filmmaker not being supported mm. by the people around them in the way that he needed to be to support it. And it's not a blame on any one person, right? Yeah, yeah. But I think it was like, sometimes things can be such a big deal that everyone gets caught in their own heads about it. And then it, they lose sight of the story. And I f- felt crippled by it. I was told that you're a movie star now, Jamie. They put me on a plane to fly me back to LA and told me that I had to fix my teeth because I'm a movie star now and no one wants to see your gap teeth on screen. <laughs> and my mother always said that what she loved about me the most was my teeth because it gave me a personality. And here I was then in a dental office <laughs> while they drilled down my teeth yeah. so that I could be the movie star. And that really crippled me. Interesting, yeah. Like it crippled me. And then they're like, do it like you did it in the in the screen test and i was like i'm doing it like that and then you had other people giving direction because the director wasn't giving direction yeah and chayu and fat was then not there for coverage oh god so it was like one of those things when i say it crippled me it truly did i i i was like oh my god like i i guess i'm not ever gonna make my dream like i'll never be what I dreamt I could be because, you know, the, I, I was terrified. I was terrified. I saw the screening and I fucking cried. My agents were so upset. And I worked so hard on that thing. And when you have powerful people giving you so many conflicting, like, notes and you're, like, that young yeah. and then as you know, then it's on the actor, right? So if a film fails, you're it's the not one the on the director yeah. that met, or so-and-so that did it. It's like, oh, no, th- this was like their big thing and then they messed it up or, you know, 
blah, 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 yeah. blah. And it wasn't pinned on me. It was just, it felt like I had let everyone down. Mm. But, and then I lost faith in myself. So like it, it played right directly into your mantra right there. Exactly. Of letting people down. So you said for six years, it, it, you said it affected you. Was that emotionally or you, was the, the aftershock of the film not being the success that it was meant to be? Was it just all of a sudden the industry turned turn cold on you? Or was it just sort of like you just felt you lost some of the... The, not, I lost my innocence. You lost your naivete about like the, the yeah. beauty of just making stories, yeah. Because the industry didn't turn on me. That was the interesting thing. I started getting offered a lot. Like I passed on Monster. I passed on like really important pieces because I didn't believe in myself. Wow. I... I I wouldn't I was afraid to smile because I felt like I had that your teeth no longer represented who you truly that, were yeah that, that it, because it was so much deeper than my teeth yeah it was like it was um like when you're listening to so many people's directions and then you're doing all those directions and then everyone's telling you that you're doing it wrong but that wasn't just for me that was for like you know multiple actors on set the fear on that set yeah. was staggering. And and I then that's when I started to be afraid to go into rooms and audition. That's when I would collapse and and didn't have the bravado. And I, like I yeah. lost that free thing. Yeah. It was six years. Wow. So how did Stella get her groove back? How did, what was the, <laughs> do, do, you, do you, was it just working through it? Was it therapy? Did you kind of like, get back to that place did you find it again how, how do you i think i i'm freer now than i ever have been in my life yeah and i and i really think it was not one singular thing but but um uh things that actors would say to me that would lift me up yeah. on a set or a casting director that would believe in me or um it took very simple things but the shame that i carried from that mm. it's just like i i don't think people know how crippling it is mm. um you know when you feel like you've when 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 you were given an opportunity that you worked really hard for and then you feel like you've let everyone down and and i'm not trying to sound dramatic but for me that is really what it feels like mm -hmm. uh, that kind of responsibility and that the need to um to 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 be excellent and and not excellent for fame, not excellent for um, accolades, but excellent for the for people. Yeah, you know, and for to be fully self-expressed in your in your craft as well. Yeah. Yeah. So then other people can see themselves. Yeah, yeah. So um, w was there a, a film after this six-year kind of? Now you you said you were passing and stuff. Were you were you not working? Were you just doing other things? I was working. But when really prolific pieces would come to me... It just scared you. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the thing that after the six years that kind of like 
was able to sort of like galvanize your your love for it again? Was there was there a project that came along or a, a group of people? Yeah, I, it was Kitchen Confidential, and you met Bradley. Bradley, Bradley, and it was Frank Langella. And he, oh, I love Frank Langella. And he said something to me <clears throat> that like gave me like a like a like. Uh, like it, like the Darsh, as one we could say, the Baraka, the Darshan. Like it, it. He helped re-remind me that I meant something, and he said, "You know, you really are like a a Clarabo, and wow. you're." And he was talking about my comedic timing and this and that and the other, and I'm like looking at a master, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Oh my god, I can't believe like a man like that would say that," but when we would do scenes together it was just like so easy and natural and i then i was like oh my god i feel alive again i feel like i got it again i got it okay yeah. i got it got it got it got it right and then um my generation uh which i did with noah holly um and do you, do you have you met noah i don't know noah no so I know noah is a brilliant novelist writer he he fargo Mm-hmm. Peabody Awards. Uh, he's, he's extraordinary. Um, my generation, that show. Um, then Heart of Dixie. Um, so Heart of Dixie was probably your longest. And job, honestly, right? Sin City. Oh, Sin City, of course. Like that is. Honestly, and talk about Seminole oh, wait, Works. Wait, That's wait, a. Two other ones, two other ones. When Sin City come after Bulletproof Monk? How many years after Bulletproof Monk was Sin City? Uh, 2004. How did I skip over those two seminal films? Because Sin films? City is there were fucking two huge. Films, two seminal films. And you were great in that. that. And you were you were the only like Ke- colorized. Kenny and Ivory Waynes uh-huh. and White Chicks. <laughs> who yep. taught me. And Keenan, I know I called you and told you this, but I need you to direct a drama, please. Um, one of the most brilliant directors ever. Ever, 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 ever. Like, I was like, I want to learn comedy from the best. Yeah. And he's the best. And what he taught me is that, like, when I went into the room for him, I was like, fuck it. Because I, I was still traumatized from Bulletproof Punk. So I was like, fuck it. I'm just going to go balls to the walls. Right, and I went bonkers in this sh- thing. <laughs> and he and Marlon and Damon were in the room, and Lisa Beach was casting. He was so rad, yeah. and I just went for it, and felt so safe with them. And then when I got when I got that film, you know, he sat everyone down in a room and gave us like worksheets, like we would do at the actor studio, right? Yeah. He treated the whole thing like a drama. Oh, wow. And there was a scene that I do on a stage uh, uh, where I'm just talking shit on the stage uh, and white chicks. And he's like, just go for it. And he's like, go, go, go. And, <laughs> and he's like, you have to always remember that if he's like, just that I will pull you back. Trust that I will yeah. pull you back if need be. I love be. that. And and that's that kind of like trust that you have, like yeah. like we're like, oh my god, I can go balls to the wall, and and I actually believe and trust that this person will pull me back, because 
he didn't treat it like a comedy. He he, tr- everything was so rooted in the truth mm-hmm. that how outlandish or whatever, you know, whatever we were doing, you know, we could go that far because ultimately we had done the work to root it in yeah truth, right? And with uh, when I was shooting that movie, I got a call um, saying that Robert Rodriguez wanted to meet me and was a fan of mine. And I asked what the film was. They said, he won't even tell us. Uh, can you fly back? Over the weekend, I flew back, uh, met him, went to the Four Seasons, walked in the room. Mary Vernew, another brilliant human being, casting director, uh, was there with Robert. And then some shadowy figure in the corner with a fedora on, <laughs> uh, Frank Miller. And I didn't know who oh, Frank wow. Miller was at the time. Yeah. Um, and uh, Robert hands me this book and I was like, okay. And he's like, uh, will you just cold read this with me? It was and, the graphic novel? Yeah. yeah. And I could feel my body change. My voice like dropped like an octave. Like it dropped and it was sitting in a different place inside of my body you know yeah. because i was with the character i was doing in white chicks was a higher lilted tones uh valley girl-esque but everything like went really deep and i could feel my body change and then he said i want to show you something he took me to the other room and he showed me the scene with marley and josh hartnett and you know, Frank would never give the rights to the film to anyone. So Robert put his own money into it to shoot that opening scene to show him how he could make the movie and saw this thing. And I was like, what am I watching? Wow. Not even knowing it was all green screen because that had never been done before. Right. I got cast in that, uh, went and no, 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 I heard nothing. Actually. I heard nothing. I heard nothing. Uh, went back to do white chicks three months later, get a call. Boom got that job i was doing kitchen went straight into kitchen confidential um uh with bradley john cho franklin jella bonnie somerville i mean incredible cast and uh then did sin city while i was doing that and it was like that's when stella got her groove back yeah now when you're shooting sin city a a film like shooting a film like you have no idea i mean you already knew what the film was going to look like because you'd seen that opening scene oh, but 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 i didn't though i remember clive Owen and i were walking out of the uh, out of the cast and cruise no, it was just cast screen actually and we we're like what the fuck did we just see <laughs> because imagine like i saw the scene right yeah but i still couldn't comprehend sure you know like and when you're acting it too is there's nothing around you there's right? literally nothing yeah. it was all green screen it's me and mickey rourke right with a few props and a bunch of x's on the floor yeah and uh he's like okay so elijah wood's there rosario dawson's there then rosario and i were joking around like oh we've been wanting to be in a movie together for a long time we <laughs> like grew up in new york together yeah uh, we're, your ex is on the ground um and <laughs> and uh he would play like johnny cash he would play music like I, it's just it was just i'd never been on a set like that such a tight crew and he's like, okay, there's a wall behind you. And then this is happening. Then this is happening. And so then it was like make-believe. So yeah. then you'd have to feel the wall that didn't exist. And you would have to act, literally act towards exes and hope you didn't look like a fucking dick. <laughs> but Mickey, it was fucking Mickey, man. 
and again. I mean, that's he, that broke him out again, yeah. I, well, it's like, are you afraid to work with Mickey? Why would I be afraid of Mickey? Well, you don't, you know, da, da. But he came from the same school I did. Yeah. You know, and my best friend, mentor, teacher, Elizabeth Kemp, was his. And it's like, you know, it was like he, I was Goldie to him. I was Wendy to him. He was so generous and kind and beautiful and tender and sweet. And then the one time I felt like a dick was in that scene where I have to, where I'm racing in a Porsche and shooting and, but the Porsche obviously isn't actually moving yeah. and the steering wheel doesn't work <laughs> and there's a fan on me and I, I was like, Robert, I look like a fucking <laughs> asshole. I'm so sorry. I'm fucking killing, I'm literally, I'm ruining your fucking movie right now. <laughs> and he's like, you look so fucking cool. I promise you. Yeah. And then he'd take me behind the monitor and show me like what it would look like and then Quentin came on and he's like, I'm having a new green screen. And then, He's like, oh, no, I get it. Because there's no resets. It's There's like you save so much time. But then it's not until you see the move. Like when you That's see it. Yeah. He's like, and he kept saying, trust me, trust me. Yeah. And then you see and you're like, oh, my so God. So were you wrapped with the film? Because obviously between rapping yeah. and seeing it is what, like six months, a year? Yes. So you had no idea if this no. movie was going to be good at all. Well, I knew it would be good because it was Robert Rodriguez. I, and he's a fucking legend. But I had... I, there would there would be I couldn't conceive what it would look like because it had never been done before. It had never been done before. So you were at the premiere of this. It was the first time you saw it, you saw it like as as screening. The first time I saw it was at Harmony Gold at a screening. Okay. And we all just walked out like What the fuck? What the And you fuck? knew it was special you knew it was something special. It is one of the most special things I've made. Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. I mean it's, and I'm it's so an iconic thankful. iconic piece of film. I mean they've been trying to like recreate the magic from it since and they really haven't been able to you know yeah. no one has been able to no. um that that's really amazing so so that that's where you got your groove back mm-hmm. and then um and there was the next step after that what what happened after uh i did a bunch of other movies then did heart of dixie and so heart of dixie was what six years or five uh, five years and i passed on that like six times because i imagine the idea of being a film actor and all of a sudden like now you're on a cw series well, that's is, why I passed six times. Well, oh, after that was my generation with Noah Hawley. Yeah. And that... Limited series, right? Uh, it became limited because the head of ABC got fired for sexually assaulting someone. Um, uh, and we were shut down and I was heartbroken. And I was like, I will never do television again. And it, this show is so fucking amazing you can watch it it's it's my it's, generation yeah it was nbc what was it It was ABC, abc and it was like the highest amount of money that that they ever put into like pna oh, i remember i remember the ads craig gillespie directed it who did i tanya um uh we had the best directors jamie babbitt was our director too like craig did the pilot we, like all like award-winning filmmakers from the hbo's so this like it was and all film actors yeah and all shot improv with like Tara and Smelix, DP, the entire crew from FNO. They had just wrapped, so they came on to our show. Noah Hawley was the writer and showrunner, along with uh, Warren Littlefield. And that was like a game changer because, I, I, you know, d- you know, like there was still like the thing about like you're either a film actor or, or you do TV, TV yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. So you were the first model actor, now you're a, f- a film TV actor. And I did too. TV with, the the first thing I did was, you know, was uh, Darren Starr's show, The Kitchen Confidential, Anthony mm-hmm. Bourdain. And, um, 
Do you ever get to meet Anthony, by the way? Oh, yeah. Yeah, he he became a buddy of mine. We did jujitsu together. We trained together for a while. He did. He's the fucking... People are like, what's he like? I'm like, he's he's even cooler than you think he is. He's you know? fucking amazing. Yeah. Amazing. If we flew out there to meet him and like watch him for like a month. And then that's how I first met him. And, and it, it was strange. I, I ran into him on the street like two weeks before he passed away. Oh, wow. And he's, he's like a unicorn. You know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He's like, when you think about becoming famous like you want to be him like as a man you know yeah. what I mean? yeah like he, he, he stands lover. up he stands up for women yes he speaks his fucking mind he, yeah. there's no air of pretension about him no not at all um it, some people you know there are so many angels on this planet where we're in this world but not of it yeah and i think sometimes that's a really painful beautiful exquisite uh, um, it, it can't be contained. Yeah, you know. A quick sidebar: I, I, there was a a part in Aziz Ansari's show. I think it was Master of None. Yeah, it was Master of None, where there was a chef, a celebrity chef that Aziz becomes friends with. And he's he's like, oh, I fucking hate this guy. Like he's so fucking like Ugh, with his Chuck Connors and his fucking like da da. And he, he described this guy and the scene, the, the episode. He just keeps hating the fact that he likes this guy so, so much. much and he keeps seeing me like why you're so fucking cool god damn it and by then so i i read this part and i was training with tony and i go i gotta ask you man do you know aziz and sorry he goes oh yeah yeah he's a buddy of mine I'm like he fucking wrote this part about you dude let me send it to you because it's about you and he was like yeah yeah that's about me but it's really cool I got, i've never saw the episode but um you should watch it i know i have to yeah but he was a shit. He was like, I mean, we could go into a whole shit. thing about that because like, the shit. Talk I don't about think swag. he killed talk himself. About, but that's a whole other fucking I, I conversation. Mean, I, don't, I, I, anyway, I don't think he did. But he was, he was still competing and training in jujitsu with, a, with serious passion and humility and like, uh, I don't know, whatever. That's a whole other. We I, uh, yeah, I could say things that would probably get me in trouble with that. Yeah. Um, so on lighter notes, so you did you did that with him, and then heart heart of Dixie. Oh, so before that was was uh, my generation. Yeah, which is which. Yeah, which then after that, when that was shut down, then I was like, "Fuck this! I'm never going to do TV again." And Hard Dixie I, was like, "Come on, please!" Like, yeah, so many I kept times. passing. Yeah, well, because I had written a movie called Polar Seasons with my writing partner Jason Dolan. And Was it called? Polar Seasons, uh-huh. and it was financed for thirty-five mil, and that was very rare to be a woman uh, uh, yeah. that's going to direct that. And I cast Riley Keough and Dakota Johnson. And so you did that film? No, I didn't do it. Whoa! Oh, didn't do it. The plot I'm, thickens. The plot thickens. Didn't do it because I, I had, I had several offers at the time, and uh, <laughs> um. Yeah, I kept passing on the show, but then when I met Lila, the showrunner, um, who again like is to me like a pioneer because it's n- it's so crazy to think that like eight years ago, you know, to be a showrunner as a woman, yeah, was unheard of, unheard of, and then to be an actor that is going to direct a feature, you know. Um, that was going to be, you know, that was being produced by, 
you know, some of the, I don't want to name all the people involved, uh, um, but you know, very powerful and, and wonderful producers and studios uh, in the studio. Uh, but basically, uh, you know, I was told by someone, well, what are you going to do? You're just going to direct something and it'll take two years of your life and you're going to cast these two people that are not stars. And I was like, no, I, I wrote this for women that I love that just haven't been given the chance to do something yeah. because people haven't seen what they can do yet. And now look at Dakota. Now look at Riley. It's mm -hmm. like, you know, like, and I got into like a pretty big kerfuffle with <clears throat> a certain sector of my team at the time uh, because I was like, why is it that I'm sitting down with WME and CA and ICM and all of these people for six hour meetings because everyone wants to be in my movie that I wrote and you won't even give me a cast list. And that's when they're like, what are you going to do? Just direct a movie and be out of the market for two years. Yeah. Meaning, AKA, we don't think we're going to make any money because again, at that time, which wasn't there that long ago, uh, you know, to be a woman and an actor, uh, a writer, and then a director um, would eat away at, it just, it, women, a lot of women in this industry, especially uh, in positions of power at agencies or management companies, you know, unfortunately had to be taught to, um, and I have, I, have, I have deep compassion for this, that it's like women have been taught that they have to let go of what makes women so beautiful, their intuition, their sensitivity, their empathy, their empathy, their emotion, um, to have a seat at the table. And so that's what happens is then they become like men. And yeah. And they had to do what they had to do. And I'm thankful for it because then we wouldn't have any women at the top, not saying that that's the way it had to be done. But, you know, n thankfully now we're starting, hopefully, to move into the place where, where we can lead as women yeah. with those qualities that make us so beautiful mm -hmm. and 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 to understand that we have polarities in all of us that i'm both a, a, a woman and a man i'm i i have every quality inside of myself and if the table's not big enough i'm gonna build a bigger fucking table oh, and God. and you know so I, I don't feel upset about their train of thought they were protecting me yeah. in their mind you know they really were protecting me in sure. their mind um but basically there was like promises made that um when i when i when i met lila i found love uh, and i saw that uh, like in, in mark pedowitz and you know josh schwartz like and stephanie savage like these people are really good human beings and genuinely believed in me and when I understood what Lila was trying to say with the show and she was like you're the only one that can do this and then I got that and and I know that the reason why I was the only one that could do it is because I was playing 
you know, a, a, a Southern belle in love with a black man, you know, uh, when I was supposed to be married to this, you know, white lawyer. And, you know, and, and there's this dalliance and, and uh, a very fine line of, of you have someone from a big city coming into a small town and trying to shit on the traditions mm-hmm. of, you know, <clears throat> the South or whatever. And, you know, <clears throat> I mean, I had to get through my own inherent biases about uh, Southern culture. Sure. And, you know, with this was breaking those biases. And, and how do I, how could I do, like, how to do that in a way where it's like, okay, you know, this you know, city chicks coming into town and saying, you know, you're ridiculous and da da da. And it's like, okay, you can make fun of like my tradition, but this actually matters to me. And like, you come here on a high horse and, and you, you think that we're like a joke to you. And I think, you know, the way I was able to tap into that was, was coming to Hollywood and I kept hearing the flyover states, the flyover states. Mm-hmm. And I was like, do you mean like all of us have saved money to buy a matinee ticket to go yeah. see the movie and support yeah. the entire industry? Exactly. That nothing else exists other than LA and New York. And so it was like, it was utilizing my my own experience to, um, you know, and, and then the feeling of being in love with a black man uh, that, you know, uh, could be controversial well well, let's just be real about that let's just fucking be real about that it's like the oh god i don't even if i start going i'm gonna lose my fucking mind about that but what i loved about it was that okay that was like a way for me to do a protest in a time where i was already getting my ass handed to me by studios for being you know and you know on Clinton's campaign involved in BLM and no one knew what BLM was and blah, 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 blah. It, it, it was a way to like express that. And, sure. and I'm so thankful for that show because I got to be here and work with really beautiful people and, um, you know, just, and, and, and make a show that actually made people happy. Yeah. You know, like that show, made so many people happy the the amount of letters i've gotten from people that are now dead people that were in the hospital you know moms that like you know extremely depressed after their children were born um you know kids in college that couldn't make it through like there's something about certain shows that yeah absolutely make you that heal people and that was one of those yeah that's amazing Listen, we we've been at this for a while, so I don't want, I don't want to keep you forever. I, I'm t- am I talking? Too no, much? you're incredible. Are you kidding me? What else me? do you want to talk about? Well, we can do a well, we can do a speed run of something. <laughs> we, here's here's what I think we should do. So, um, that's amazing. I don't I don't want to sort of. How about I pause this for a second? Pause. And then, um, I I have a small bladder. We're back. We just talked for another like hour and a half before this, so. Everything's been covered. We we finished. We were, you're talking about hard dark, uh, hard Dixie. So this is what I, w- I want to close with. First of all, thank you so much. Thank you for for letting me. I'm actually this is the only second time I've been to someone's place with the podcast. Usually it's in my yard. So uh, thank you for inviting me and trust me to come here. And um, 
Thank you for uh, coming to my home. You, Jamie King, are a goddess. And you are a boss. And you're a badass bitch. And you're a fucking, you, you should, you're a hero, you know, to, to, to women and to, to artists. And you're amazing. So what have you got coming up the pipe? Ooh. Um, <clears throat> well, I uh, just announced my new uh, production company. It's called Hooligan Dreamers. Hey, that's great. You heard it here on the podcast. Although you've announced other places, but yeah, that's cool. Hooligan Dreamers, your new production company, and you produce TV, film, everything? Yes, TV, yeah. film, documentary, um, documentaries. It's uh, with myself, Emma Comley, and Soul of Fashion, and I... Uh, yeah, I wanted to create this for over 10 years. Uh, Hooligan Dreamers is named after my best friend that passed it, ran the actress studio, Elizabeth Kemp. And I wanted to create um, a production company where we would give voice to um, all people that um, have not felt seen or hurt. Um, and it's a gift and a rare time in which... Uh, we can actually facilitate these stories being seen and told. Um, with that, I have uh, my show that I produced and starring for Netflix, Black Summer, is coming out on June 19th. You're the first one to know this. June 19th. Breaking news, guys. I love it's it. It's breaking news. Yes. June that's 19th. amazing. It's fucking amazing. Um, and I feel like an utter piece of shit that I didn't see the first season. But I hear it's great. It is. I feel so bad that I didn't see it because I've seen so much of other shows. Don't feel bad. <laughs> Stephen King said it's one of his favorite shows. Oh. I'll show with that. That's that's all I need to hear. And yeah. the second season's amazing. We're the first up for Netflix during the pandemic. It's very strange to produce and start in a show uh, where you can't be on set because you're the star and the producer. Yeah. <laughs> but it's extraordinary. And... Um, uh, where else? I have a film coming out with Bruce Both Willis called Out of Death. Um, I am writing a new movie called Too Bad, and I'm in pre-pro uh, to direct uh, four films and uh, a series um, called Estranged with Kelly Oxford that I'm EPing and starring in. And okay. So lots of beautiful things. And uh, Jamie is a brilliant, brilliant human being and actor. If if you had one thing that someone could see you in, if you're like, this is what like people want to check out, what would it be? Is there a thing that you're like, hey guys, check this out. This is something that I'm proud of, either for personal reasons or professional reasons that you, you think like maybe people haven't seen hmm. or that you'd be like, hey, check this. I think I'm pretty good here. So strange. Um, I, I did a weird thing this w past weekend where I looked at um, every film and show I made and realized I only had watched a 30% of them. Oh, wow. Uh, uh, it, you took that playback thing seriously, didn't you? you didn't want to I did. <laughs> Thank you, Jason Schwartzman. Um, I I would say the the second season of Black Summer uh, oh, that's well done because it's not now you're plugging the show on top of it. Yeah, second season. Not, oh, you've it, already shot the second season. Yes. Wait, we, what season are you in right now? Third? 
No, we just shot it, and then oh, oh, it's coming. Got it's got coming up, and and oh, because Netflix is not like a network where the season starts and you're still shooting episodes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Got it. and and the reason why I say that is is not uh, as a plug, honest, honestly. Even though that's what usually what we are trained to do, um, you know, with the second season, you know, we started and. God, we had the writers room up in August and then started shooting in February. COVID hit, we were shut down. And then again, first back up, start back up in August, uh, wrapped in October. Um, and the first show, COVID Clean, um, which I was very proud of uh, because, wow. uh, you know, we like we need to keep people working. We need to keep uh, giving, you know, we need to keep creating art and and, and creating content so that uh, people are healed and entertained. Um, but th- the reason why I say that if there's one thing that people could watch, it's y- it, you'll see me for who I am and... Uh, actors and the crew members in some of the most vulnerable experiences of their life wow. and the 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 way that we just put it all on the screen I I again really don't like to watch myself um, but to finally uh, break free and 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 have to watch myself as a producer <laughs> right Um I'm very, very proud of the work because I was able to put everything that I've been through in this year uh, through uh, a very traumatic um, divorce to, um, you know, like everything that I don't really talk about publicly. I was able, uh, I was able to put it into, um, into Rose and I, I, I'm so thankful for that and it's deeply moving and I yeah I'm, I'm just really fucking proud of it so cool well Jamie King you are magic and people can find you on Instagram at Jamie's smelled smelled and and it's you're you're named after what you're named after who again uh Jamie Summers the bionic the bionic woman that's right so Jamie J A I M E underscore King K I N G um and also at Hooligan Dreamers at Hooligan Dreamers awesome thank, thank you so you. much for coming thanks sign for listening up, guys. Don't, sign don't, up sign don't, up don't sign up you're such a beautiful fucking human being oh don't make me cry you really are and you have so much to give to this planet and to the world and I'm to telling people. You, I'm telling you, it, I, I've resisted. I've resisted. And, and in a way that's really, really, really um, rare. Oh, thank and you. I, and so I just want to say that because I, everyone needs an add a boy and an add a girl and oh. an add a they, they're them and add a everything and and, and some out of van sometimes let's be honest and some out of van <laughs> anyone have any uh oh but my god. really thank, thank you. you thank, thank you. you thank you oh god and uh, good night well, emotional okay bye <laughs>